My brother stopped by this week. He was um, he'd gone to Idaho. My dad passed away three years ago. And my stepmom's still clearing out some stuff and, you know, giving it to us boys. And uh, so my brother went uh, from Oklahoma to Idaho to get some of those things that still need clearing out. And um, he stopped by on the way up and on the way back. You know, we didn't always get along well as growing up together. I mean, that's what boys do. They fight with each other, right? I thought he'd gotten over it, but he gave me this cold. <laughs> so that's why the cup of water today. <clears throat> um, yeah. We're going to jump forward a little bit in the book of Joshua this morning. Um, we're going to we're going to skip some chapters. I'll come back to them in 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 the next weeks uh, when I'm in the pulpit. But we're going to we're jumping to chapter 24 today because in my mind it's such a good fit for Father's Day. But before I get into our our, our scripture passage today. I just want to share with you ten things that you will never hear a dad say. Are you ready for this? Number one. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. That'll never come out of my mouth, I'll tell you that. Next one. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? I notice that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. Here's a credit card and the keys to my car. Go crazy. Son, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating's not good enough for you? Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. I love this one. Well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. It's probably those doohickey thingies. You know, that makes it run or something. Just have it towed to a mechanic and pay whatever he asks. No son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. What do you mean, go and get, uh, excuse me, What do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And then last one. Young lady, you're not going out dressed like that. That outfit's way too modest. Go change into something more revealing. You know, most men I know enjoy a challenge. Um, we, We... I know I'm competitive, probably too competitive at times. And Now, I, I tend not to be too competitive of things I know I'm not very good at to begin with. But if I think I'm reasonably good at something, I tend to be pretty competitive. And, uh, you know, we enjoy, we enjoy a challenge. We, we kind of like turning things into competition sometimes. Um, uh, the kinds of challenges we respond to aren't necessarily the ones that our spouses would necessarily appreciate, like... Winning the Who Can Drink a Soda and Burp the Loudest contest at the family reunion, that's probably not big on our wife's list. 
Or seeing if you can drive from Longmont to Wichita without a bathroom stop. That's probably not real popular either. But, you know, there are a lot of more noble challenges out there in our lives and challenges that a lot of men do step up to, like being the best at what you do. Men like to be known for that, in fact. Tackling a tough project, getting involved in a ministry that stretches you, and maybe at the top of the list, one of the greatest challenges that we face is being a good father. By the way, uh, this scripture passage and what I'm going to preach today is pretty much directed at men. Just want you to know that. So ladies, you can listen in. Don't check out on me, but... Um, and there are men, there are all kinds of challenges laid before us. And what we do with them, whether we embrace them or not, is our choice. In most cases, we choose the challenges that we uh, accept. And some of our choices are inconsequential. Like, you know, how loud can you burp at the family reunion? But others affect the course of our lives and the lives we influence for eternity. I will tell you that the emphasis uh, or, or the scriptures I'm going to focus on this morning were the first two that... Um, and by the way, thanks for that great lead-in, Gail. Um, because this was a great gathering. He was gathering all the people together. Joshua was giving a bit of a speech here. But um, what, what he says in this challenge that he gives today. And let me read verses 14 and 15 for you again from, from chapter 20 of Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, but as for me, but as for me and my household, my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was putting forth a challenge that he himself was choosing to accept. And I think we need to understand the impact of Joshua. What was Joshua choosing to do on this particular day? You know, again, there was a great crowd there, but I think in, in, in large part he was speaking to the men in that crowd today and, and uh, are, are on that day. And, you know, I think in, in the culture that we live in, we struggle a little bit with things like this because there's a lot of uncertainty um, in our culture about what the role of men really is anymore. Um, sometimes to take a leadership role on the part of a man in, in his family or Maybe in the church or other places is seen as, you know, we're the boss or we're heavy-handed or you know, cultures uh, just kind of made the role of men in leadership sometimes a thing that is um, kind of looked down on. It's not considered such a good thing anymore. But here's a man standing before an entire nation and saying, this is what I'm going to do with my family. And so I think we need to understand what Joshua was really saying at this point on that day. And the first thing we need to understand about Joshua's 
choice was this. Joshua was committing to begin right now. To begin now. Choose this day. It needs to start today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, in the New Living Translation, it says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. See, Joshua wasn't the first one to say, right now is the time to make a choice, a decision. The Apostle Paul was saying that to the Corinthians at this point. So Joshua understood the importance of, we need to make a commitment right now. Today's the day you need to make a decision. It's a choice that can't wait. And I think you can kind of hear the, the urgency in Joshua's voice as he, as he shares this, specifically with the men in that crowd that, that day. This was serious business for this man of God. Business that needed to be dealt with right then and there. You know, there was a song that came out a number of years ago. And I remember Dr. Dobson kind of bringing this song to light. It was done by a guy named Harry Chapin. It's called Cats in the Cradle. And it goes like this. And, and it's a powerful reminder of how important our choices are today and how they will impact the future of our lives and those of our family members. The song goes like this. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. Boy, that happens fast. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. And he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day. Boy, that went fast. So much like a man I just had to say, Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad. If I can find the time. You see, my job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me. He'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. You'll know we'll have a good time then. It's got to start today. You can't wait for the rest of your life to get in order. Being in a good father can't wait for you to get a better job or the promotion you've always dreamed of. It won't wait for your finances to get better. It won't wait for tomorrow. It's got to be a decision that you make today, just like Joshua was calling the men in that group to do on that day. Just ask King David. 
He was a great warrior, a legendary king, a great worshiper, and a lousy dad. David had all the bases covered in his life, but in his old age, he would pay dearest for his failure as a father. It can't wait for your children to get older. It's not a matter of they are my wife's responsibility until they turn a certain age, no. You know, the priest Eli was a wonderful man of God. Such a man that God would entrust the training of the prophet Samuel to him. But when it came to his own sons who were living in open sin, Eli chose to look the other way. But God held Eli responsible for his sons. If you put it off, the choice will be made for you. If as fathers we choose to ignore the responsibility God has given us, we unknowingly sow seeds that will grow up to confront us at some point. You know, a mother can supply a great wealth of training in the lives of their children, but men, they can never supply what God has called you to supply. A.B. Simpson called this the wickedness of weakness when we as men refused to fulfill our place as a spiritual head of our household. Joshua tells us it's time to choose to be the spiritual head of our household today. Guys, it's up for you to set the direction. Well, in this challenge, Joshua was also making a personal decision. He said, as for me, choose you this day, but as for me, the decision to follow Jesus is one that every individual must make for themselves. It's kind of like joining the military. I'm not talking about being drafted in, but what if you choose to join the military? You'll be part of a, a unit, but the decision to join is yours. You're not in because someone else decided for you. You're not in because your father or brother or sister or grandfather were in. You're in because you made a personal decision to join. Joshua was choosing to stand alone if need be. It didn't matter to him what anyone else thought or decided. He knew what he needed to do and he was going to do it. He was going to join. He was going to join with God. And you know what? This, wasn't, this wouldn't be the first time that he stood apart. Sixty-five years earlier at Kadesh Barnea, he and Caleb had given the minority report. Remember that? Oh, man, the land's beautiful, but I'm telling you, there are fortified cities there and guys so big that you wouldn't believe it. I don't think we better try this one. And Joshua and Caleb are saying, wait a minute, God said the land's ours. Let's go in and take it. But theirs was the minority report and the majority prevailed and they turned their backs on the promised land and wandered in the desert for 40 more years. But a pattern had been set in Joshua's life, hadn't it? He wasn't afraid to stand up for what he knew was right, for what God had called him to do, what he really believed in. And here he is again doing that, standing before the whole nation on that day and saying, doesn't matter what anybody else chooses to do to the day, here's the path I'm setting for myself and my family. 
we're going to serve the Lord. And you know, the Bible kind of throughout the scriptures gives examples of individuals who chose to make tough decisions and sometimes basically stand alone. I think about Abram who left his family to go land to a land he did not know. Can you imagine what his family was saying? Are you crazy? Yeah, we're moving, but we're not quite sure where yet. Oh, think about your kids and your... And then there was Daniel. First of all, he's taken into a foreign land as a teenager. And uh, they recognize that this guy has some skills and some brains. So they're going to train him up to be kind of have a special place and service in the kingdom. And, and um, they're going to feed him the king's food so he can do it. And he said, you know, I can't go there. That wouldn't honor my God to do that. And he chose to stand alone and God honored that. And it turned out that he was at the top of the class. And then later on in his life, when it was determined that the only person you could pray to was the, the king, he said, no, I'm still going to pray to the God of Israel. I, I, you know, I, I love it. Uh, I wish this was true of me. I wish it was true of, of the leaders of our nation today. You know, when somebody runs for office, all you have to do is dig a little and you'll be able to find some dirt on them. And that all comes to light and we try to torpedo them, you know, and... Ruin their, ruin their chances to run for public office. You know, they tried that with Daniel. Remember that? I mean, he, there was this Jewish guy in Babylon that had this incredible power and position of leadership and, and the other Babylonians are thinking, we've got to, we've got to get this guy out of there. And so they dug and 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 looked for some dirt and they couldn't find any. And they had to get him for doing the right thing. Boy! Isn't that a great testimony? We're gonna to have to get we're gonna to have to get him for doing the right thing. He's praying to God. That's what we'll get him for. Daniel stood alone. In fact, he had three friends that stood alone too. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've always tried to picture that thing in the mind when everybody was supposed to bow toward this great image that was made. So that all those instruments sounded and everybody falls on their faces and here's Talk about sticking out like sore thumbs. Can you imagine? Picture that in your minds. Everybody's down on the ground on their faces and here they stand. Can't go there. We made a commitment to God. He's the only one we will worship. Oh, well, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace then. <laughs> and here, You know, these guys didn't know what the outcome was going to be. They didn't know. They, they didn't know God was going to do something miraculous and deliver the guy who that thing was so hot. The guys who threw him in died, and the king's watching, and there's someone else in there with him. Hmm, I wonder who that might have been. There's four guys walking. One of them looked like a son of God, and they come out, and their their clothes aren't, their eyebrows aren't singed. They don't smell like smoke. Nothing. They chose to stand alone. I've been thinking, and Dean, you mentioned this individual. He's not a biblical character, but Eric Little. Remember the story, Chariots of Fire? Was going to run for England in the Olympics. 
And he found out that I think his qualifying heat was on Sunday. And he said, can't go there. And to the king of England, he said, I can't do it. I can't compromise my convictions, my beliefs. Well, I talked about standing alone. He had a ton of pressure on him to cave in. He wouldn't do it. I think that's the kind of man Joshua was. He was a man who made a personal commitment that day. Joshua was also in indicating an intention to influence. As for me and my household, my family. You know, someone has said a boy loves his mother but will follow his father. And if you look at it, at, at things, especially in the life of the church statistically, it's really true. Especially as children get older. If, if dad isn't in church service, as kids get older, they tend to follow dad. They disappear. A boy loves his mother, but will follow his father. Men, when you choose to be an influencer, especially in your own home, you've chosen a big job. You see, it, focus, it forces us to raise the bar in our own lives. I think there's an attitude out there sometimes that men are just kind of allowed certain vices because that's who men are. But I don't see Joshua saying that that's an acceptable thing to believe. We need to raise the bar in our lives. We need to impact our families in a godly way. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I think this is an incredible statement. And he's raising the bar on himself when he does this, when he says this. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I would have a tendency to say, follow my example most of the time. There are other times when probably I'm not doing so good and you probably shouldn't. But, but Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. As for me and my household, the decision to influence is, is one that says, I'm going to set the kind of example that God would be happy for my family to follow. I'm going to set the kind of example that God would be happy for my family to follow. I can't make them. I can't commit for them. But I will do everything in my power to lead and influence those in my household to make the same choice I am making and serve the God I am choosing to serve. By the way, I think one of the incredible risks... And sometimes it's hard for me to believe that God took with humanity is giving us the power to choose. Because we have a Heavenly Father that many people have chosen to reject. Talk about a perfect example, but kids sometimes choose to go their own way, don't they? In spite of our best efforts to influence them for Jesus and the kingdom. So I can't make them, I can't commit for them, but I will do everything in my power to lead and influence those in my household to make the, the same choice I am making and serve the God I am choosing to serve. That should be our goal and our desire for our family, should it not? Listen, no Christian is intended to live in a vacuum. I don't know if I'll ever preach this Thing, but I, I, I preached a sermon one time, you know. It's a cute little song. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. Great song, bad theology. Because 
I know our relationship with Jesus is personal, but we're supposed to live this thing out in community, aren't we? It's the body of Christ. No Christian is intended to live in a vacuum. Our relationship with Christ should impact those in our sphere of influence. And the most important sphere of influence is that of our own household. My family. Listen, folks. If I get to heaven someday, and God goes down the thing and says, Wow! Sid, as pastor in eastern Oregon and on the coast and in Longmont, Colorado, through your ministry career, you, you led X number of people to Jesus. Oh, but you lost your own kids. I don't remember what it said, but Julie used to put up these little things on the refrigerator that, you know, would make me feel convicted when I read them. Something about, you know, what's the value of leading all these people to Jesus if you lose your own family? Uh, Something like that. Our relationship with Christ should impact those in our sphere of influence, and the most important sphere is those in our own household. The psalmist wrote this. Psalm 101, verse 2, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. And you know what? That's the toughest place to do that. You know, I can kind of keep the, the front up out in public. But listen, the mask comes off at home. Right? Comes off at home. It's the toughest place to really be consistent in the way we should be. But listen, when, when, we, choose to, when we choose to influence, it's a choice to lead. Joshua let it be known that he would let no one take from him the God-given responsibility for his own family. Even if the entire nation went another way. His leadership of Israel was secondary to his leadership of his own family. His role as husband and father in his own household. Joshua was calling every dad that day to stand and choose to lead. And his his choice to influence was might have potentially at least, been going against the tide of popular opinion. And I would say that our choice to lead our families in a godly way, we claim to be a Christian nation, but in many ways goes against the tide of popular opinion. Joshua made it clear before everyone, before anyone else made the choice that he was going to lead his family in God's way. Even if every one of them there that day chose to do something different. He was talking to lifelong friends, family members, to his nation, that he was now committing to be a godly father. Here's how I'm going to lead my family. 
And we have to set our faces against the tide of absentee fathers. And I don't mean dads that... I mean, some of it has to do with dads that aren't there at all, but some of it has to do with the fact that even though they're in the home, they're, they're still absent. You know what I'm saying? Or easy divorce, or boys that refuse to grow up, and, and a misinformed definition of what it means to be a father, what our role is to be. In an article entitled, Fathering Fatherless America, Dr. Scott J. Larson reports, one in two children now grow up without a father in the United States. And in our inner cities, only one in five children live with their father. A whole new mission field has developed in America, fathering fatherless kids. And sometimes we look around and we say, what's wrong with America? How come we see these declines in so many areas? Gentlemen, I think the fact that so many fathers are absent to give that role of leadership in their families has a lot to do with that. His, his choice to influence was a choice to take a spiritual lead. Joshua wasn't calling for a physical lead. That was already the case in his culture. Men kind of had that role of the physical lead. He wanted to see more spiritual leadership on the part of the men that he was speaking to that day. When God's Word speaks of the head of the house, it's not referring to some macho tyrant, but one who answers to God for that house. Boom. Thank God for godly mothers. But men, it doesn't let us off the hook. The Bible is clear that God holds the man responsible for the spiritual condition of his house. A young man had grown to make his father very proud as a successful accountant until one day he was arrested for embezzlement. In the courtroom, this young man seemed unconcerned and unaffected by the charges, but when he was told to rise for his sentencing, his father stood as well. At that, the young man was crushed with shame and guilt for what he had done. His father had taken responsibility for the moral failure of his son. To choose to influence is also to know where you're leading them. Leadership demands direction. We can't lead, uh, we can't lead others until we have a direction for our own lives. A purpose in the way we live our lives. Why are we here? What are we headed for? Is it about getting stuff? Is it about making the most money we can? Is it about power? Is it about notoriety? What do you want to see as a result of your years as father? Listen, Joshua's life had been a committed life, not, not to his own dreams, but to the divine purpose that God had for him. And he led his family to embrace God's purpose for their lives as well. But most of all, he led his family to embrace a relationship with God. Are we impacting those in our sphere of influence in such a way that they would at least 
have the potential of being interested in the God we serve? I hope so. And then when Joshua gave that challenge that day, the one who was accepting for himself, he was making a powerful declaration. We will, he said. We will. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but we will. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Listen, God is looking for more from us than lip service. It's easy to say we will. It's a lot harder to do that. To follow through. I mean, the old saying, talk is cheap, is true. According to Barna, in the United States, polls taken in 2016 revealed that 73% of those polled identified themselves as Christians. Well, I was born in the United States of America, right? 75% say they pray to God. Now we see the numbers shrink a bit. 35% attend church regularly, which is not the definition a lot of us grew up with regular, but, you know, that means maybe once a month. 34% say they read the Bible. But I think even if these numbers are correct, we have to ask why the moral and ethical climate of our nation seems to grow worse and worse. I mean, with all these people who claim to be Christians, and the number that claim to attend church and believe in God and pray to Him often, shouldn't things be different? Yes, they should. See, when we choose to serve God, it's not just an act of, of emotions. And sometimes we get caught up in that. I mean, what happens then when the emotions aren't there? There has to be a decision of our will. And any decision for God that will stand the test of time must be made based on a commitment, an act of the will. See, the test of time is the day-in, day-out living of our faith. The test of time is staying the course when all the pressure is to do otherwise. And there's a lot of pressure like that in the world we live in. Joshua was making a declaration that day, we will. And finally, Joshua was committing to a surrender of self. We will serve the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for servant contains two things. There's two things involved in that that word. Action and obedience. Servants belonged to other people. They had no personal rights and lived to do the bidding of the Master. Really, slave, might, in our minds, might be a better word for that. So that sheds a bit of an interesting light on what Joshua was saying here. Here's a guy who was a leader of a nation. A guy who was used to giving orders and having them followed. And he is saying here at this point, 
I am committing myself to serve the Lord, to be His slave, to take orders from Him, to do whatever His bidding is in my life. And all the while understanding the implications of all that that meant. And I think really, from what these people had been through and seen happen in their lives, in all of this history leading up to this point, they had to have a pretty good understanding of what that meant as well, whether they chose to accept it and commit to it or not. A scriptural understanding of what it means to serve the Lord requires the surrender of self and complete obedience. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Have you ever thought about what it means to offer yourself as a sacrifice? Listen, when you brought a sacrifice to the temple, it was hands off. What happened that from that point on, you had no control over. And when we choose to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, is exactly what we're saying. It's hands off. God, now we're committing, we're saying to God, you can do with me whatever you please us because I'm a sacrifice. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's a tough one. Just about everything we see in here encourages us to set our mind on earthly things. And it goes on to say, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Go to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I, am no, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In those last two verses... It says we are dead. We have died to ourselves. Dead, dead men don't complain. Dead men don't say no. Dead men don't do what pleases them. We have offered ourselves to God to be obedient to Him, to, to walk in His ways, to lead our family in His ways, to do His bidding and His will. See, it's a, it is a choice to serve in the way that they understood Action and obedience. See, for, for Joshua, serving the Lord was a lifestyle. That's just what he did. And he did it, and, and he served and he did it by example to his family. See, Joshua never said, or at least I don't think to, he doesn't say this in the Scripture, but I'm, I'm judging by what Joshua said here on that day that Joshua would, never would have said, do as I say, not as I do. Right. That one does not fly. Joshua led by example, so that when he said, I'm going to serve the Lord, he lived that out. Folks, it's useless to encourage our kids to do what we ourselves are unwilling to do. And Joshua demonstrated to his family a love for the Word, a habit of sacrifice, and a commitment to service. And just think of some of the things that God asked Joshua to do. 
They're pretty outrageous when you think about it. Listen, tell everybody to march around the walls of Jericho every day and on the last day seven times and blow the trumpets and... Okay, Joshua, we followed you up till now, but... And yet he was a man who was committed to doing what God called him to do, what God told him to do. And listen... Joshua did this openly. I mean, he was a leader. He did it before everybody. Joshua was not a secret saint. His commitment to God was certainly not a secret kept for his family. They saw what he did. They truly had an example to follow. And folks, men, your children know if your service to God is a chore or a delight. Your children know if your service to God is done with embarrassment or with honor. I heard a story about a humble, consecrated pastor whose young son became very ill. After the boy had undergone an exhaustive series of tests, the father was told the shocking news that his son had a terminal illness. The youngster had accepted Christ as his Savior, so the minister knew that death would usher him into God's glory and presence, but he wondered how to inform one in the bloom of youth that he would soon die, because that was the diagnosis, the prognosis. After earnestly seeking the direction of the Holy Spirit, he went with a heavy heart through the hospital ward to the boy's bedside. First, he read a passage of Scripture and had a time of prayer with his son. Then he gently told him that the doctors could promise him only a few more days to live. And then he said, Are you afraid to meet Jesus, son? And blinking away a few tears, the little fellow said bravely, No, not if he's like you, daddy. You know, on the doorpost of every faithful Jewish home, you will find a a small thing called a mezuzah. Inside that little container, there's a thing that says this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that just because it's there, they necessarily live up to that. But what kind of difference would it make if every person who claims to be a Christian mezuzahed all their life? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, I will serve you as I work. I will serve you as I play. I will serve you in my life at home. I will serve you in my church. We need to acknowledge God as the whole, not just a part. Not, well, I live for God here, but... You know, I kind of do my own thing here. It's a full-time commitment. It's a 365, 24-hour kind of a thing. And folks, as Joshua laid this challenge out before that, those people that day and chose to accept that challenge for him, it was, a, it was a challenge that he was going to keep. You know, that... This choice was so important that Joshua set up a memorial stone at Shechem to serve as a testament and reminder of what he had promised that day. Remember, we've seen this happen already 
a, a time or two. Remember when they crossed the Jordan River, every, the one man from every tribe had to pick up a stone and they set up this little memorial to remember what God had done for them to cross the Jordan River. Well, now he sets up a stone in remembrance of the commitment. He and they, because remember what, uh, Gail read the response. Yeah, we're going to do this. So he set up a stone that day to serve as a testament and a reminder of what they had promised. And I don't know how we, we do that in our own lives. You know, we, we have different kinds of things we use as memorials in our own lives. But some way, we need to remember that when we make those kind of decisions, especially men as fathers leading in our own homes, choosing to lead God's way in our own homes, to impact our families, that we do something as a memorial to that decision that we've made. And whether it's the undusty Bible on the coffee table because it's one we use or whatever it may be in our lives. It's a vow that we make to God, not just to ourselves. And we remember that we've made that God and that commitment to God and we covenant with Him to keep it. We have an incredibly important role. Dads, granddads, in the lives of our families. And I'd like us just a minute today for a few moments to bow our heads. Because it's, it's a serious commitment. Joshua wouldn't have called everybody together if this wasn't important for everyone to hear, especially the men standing in that crowd that day. And you know what? It doesn't matter where you've, what's happened up to now. The point is the commitment that we make today and what we de- determine that commitment to do from this point on. So as fathers and grandfathers and maybe great-grandfathers or fathers-to-be or whatever, we need to, in our own lives today, set up a stone in remembrance that we have made a commitment today to serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter what external pressure says. It doesn't matter what our uh, other members of our family say, our friends and neighbors say. Here's a commitment we have made today. And this is a time in our lives this morning to set up a memorial in our own minds and our own hearts to say we and And our household, we will serve the Lord. Lord God, we come before you today. (laughs) It just seems where where we, we live in a land where there's a refusal to accept responsibility. Commitment to things is, is something that's almost like a thing of the past. But Lord God, today, in honor of you, and your desire for men, for fathers, for granddads, for, for families, we commit to choose today before you, Lord God, to serve you. We and our household, I and my household, we will serve the Lord. And whether we write it down in the flyleaf of our Bibles, or hang something on the wall at home, We drive a stake. We set up a memorial in our own lives today to say that, Father, from this point on, we choose to serve You and to lead our families in that way no matter what our world says.
Others can choose to go their own way. They can choose to serve other gods. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Father, help me as a pastor and a dad and a grandfather to lead that way in my own family. And may it be a commitment that we never falter on. And God, give us the strength to stand and to do and to serve as you've called us to. Because we depend on you. It's not in us. It's not because we're skilled enough or macho enough or know enough. It's because of the power of God at work in our lives that we're able to keep this kind of commitment. And so God, we pray today that you would help us. And that we will be men who serve you and lead our families to do so. And we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.